Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How can the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Hey everyone, this is Chris at Her- Inside the Sequel. This is the podcast where, you know, we talk about sequel movies we love, and sometimes we just talk about sequel movies we have to defend, much like today's episode, because today we are talking about the 1992 maybe cult classic film from David Fincher, which makes people think, oh, what? he's talking about a David Fincher film on here, but we're talking about one that's lesser known, I feel like. We're talking about Alien 3. This is rumor control, here are the facts. A 337 model EEV crash landed here on the morning watch. There was one survivor, two dead, and a droid that was hopelessly smashed beyond repair. The survivor is a woman. 25 prisoners in this facility. All scum, just because they doesn't make them any less dangerous. Let me see if I have this correct, Lieutenant. It's an eight-foot creature of some kind with acid for blood, and it arrived on your space. It kills on sight and is generally unpleasant. When they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're going to care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space. I might kill you just for having seen it. Ripley. Because they won't kill it. We give you thanks, O oh Lord. Wrath has come when time is near for this judge. The apocalypse is upon us. Let us be ready. is fellow alien enthusiast. Now, we I feel like in this podcast we talk about alien movies all the time, but honestly, this is one of my favorite franchises, and I've had good, great people talk about it, and she's no exception. We have Carmelita Valdez on today's episode to talk about Alien Hello, Chris. Carmelita, you can't even hold your excitement. I, I love I it. I can't. I am, like, bursting at the seams. <laughs> this is... I'm giddy. I've been giddy all day. The thought of getting to talk about this movie. Well, and to talk with you again, because we had so much fun last time. And then this movie in particular, I am just beside myself. Yeah. Like I said, I had to drink and like calm the nerves because I'm I'm kind (laughs) of like giddy with this one too. And like I said, I wanted to say you're the only other person I know that's actually seen this movie. And this movie has so much controversy on it. Um, the fact that I know your opinion on it makes me very excited for today's episode. So I thank you for hopping on. So <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and like we said off the mic, you've been busy. So I'm so happy you could make some time to be on here again. 
Oh, anytime, my friends. <laughs> so before we get started and just talk about Alien uh, in general, so this movie came out in 1992, and you said you remember um, watching this movie for the first time. Let me just say, a couple movies that came out in 92, this was a crazy year. So to reference back to an episode we did, we talked about Desperado and El Mariachi. 1992 is when El Mariachi premiered, came out. So shout out to that. Batman Returns from mm. uh, with Michael Keaton as Batman came out that year, as well as the cult classic Candyman. And uh, Daniel from Cobwebs will love this one. Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula as well came out this year. So Isn't that crazy? it was a good year. Yeah. Imagine just going to the theaters and seeing like, a couple of these like up on the billboard to go see. I would have never oh, left yeah. the theater. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. And then even if you missed out on seeing something in theater, you know, by that point, every town had a local video store. And so, you know, we would rent movies if we couldn't catch them in the theater. It was a good time. It was a good yeah. time to be a movie watcher. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like when you think of like going to this video store and like renting movies, I'll be honest, like as a kid, like I associated family video with the alien franchise. Like I was renting those alien movies like all the time. They were always in the favorite section in eight. They start yeah. with the letter A. So they're right there. And uh, I, as a kid, I mean, so I, I'm going to talk to you about it because I haven't got a chance really to talk about it on this show. Yeah. But like, what, what what's like you, your relationship with the Alien franchise? Like, obviously, on this podcast, we talked about Prometheus and Alien Covenant because, I mean, screw it. I love those movies now and I wanted an excuse to talk about them. But like just the first four Alien movies, like what was your relationship with those? Oh, man. So. So I'll tell you this goes way back. Like <laughs> I, I remember seeing alien for the first time. Um, my father's hobby is watching TV. <laughs> he works, That's like every day. Yeah. He works like six, seven days a week. And so if he's not working, he's got his feet up and he's watching TV. So like we always, as soon as cable became available in our town in the early eighties, we had cable. And oh. we had HBO. My dad always insisted on having HBO because that was his hobby. So we always had access. And kind of our family outing, the one place we did actually go when my dad had a day off was the movies. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember seeing Alien. I mean, I was young. I was like under five years old. <sighs> That's a good day. That's a good age to start watching movies. <laughs> Rated R movies. <laughs> And I remember it vividly, not the whole movie that young. Uh -huh. It would it would take subsequent watches later on uh -huh. to really like digest the whole thing. But that that chestburster scene, like I remember the first time, like that's the most vivid memory of seeing Alien for the first time. Uh -huh. I just remember just my little mind was blown. Uh -huh. And so, I mean, I grew up with the Alien franchise, so you know, so we would go on to rewatch Alien, and that happens to be my still my favorite of the franchise. Yeah. And then when Aliens came out, we saw that as soon as it came out. And, you know, that one being more of an action flick, you know, by that point, like my little my younger brother was into it. And and my dad was always more into action movies anyway. So we rewatched Aliens quite a bit. Um so by the time Alien 3 comes around, 
I'm entering my angsty teen years. Oh, perfect for this movie. <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, this Alien 3 met me right where I lived in terms of <laughs> mood and temperament. And I this I was just right there, like staring into the void. And this film <laughs> was like perfect. Uh, so I saw it again, like as soon as it came out, we're like, oh, my God, we have to see Alien 3. Now, Alien Resurrection, what year was that? That was 97, I feel like. Yeah. So by 97, my my movie watching, like I didn't have a lot of cash on my own and I was, you know, older by then. So it was like I didn't always have money for the movies or we didn't go as a whole family as often as we did before because, you know, kids mm -hmm. are getting older. So. So that one, I think we rented, it had been out a while. Like, I don't, I don't recall seeing it like right when it came out. Yeah. But I remember enjoying it. Not mm -hmm. as much as the previous films. But I yeah, do kind of remember enjoying it, but I didn't really rewatch that one. Like at all until like two weeks ago. Until you heard Matt Bledsoe talking trash on Alien 3, and you're like, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to watch this damn thing, see what these idiots are talking about. And then I'm going to so hop Alien on the podcast and then talk about how... Oh, no, Alien 3, I've rewatched quite a bit. Alien 3, I come back to over and over again. I would actually say I've rewatched Alien 3 at this point more than Aliens. Wow. You see, I'm kind of similar with Alien 3, I think I've rewatched more because that one was always on TV, at least for me. Mm. It was always like on TV, a weekend, running on t whatever. And um, Aliens wasn't as much, but like I felt like that – or even early on with Aliens, I was like, this is a great movie. I can't watch it too often. I'm going to ruin it, you know, because that's always <laughs> how I've been as a kid. Like even now as an adult, I was like, can't watch it too much because, you know, you you're going to ruin – Yeah, you're going to you're gonna ruin the damn thing. So – and you know what the thing is with me with Alien 3, um, which is funny, we did Alien Resurrection, now we're doing Alien 3. So Matt, if you're listening, hi. Um, hi, Matt. <laughs> he's like biting his teeth and he's like, he's like, you better not be talking shit right now. <laughs> um, but with Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection, I feel like are the ones, I mean, you can talk about Alien and Aliens all day long. I mean, Alien oh, 79 yeah. is the, the best movie in my opinion ever made, but... Uh, with Alien 3 and Resurrection, it felt like, I mean, we talked about Alien Returns it, or Batman Returns. It feels like those 90s Batman movies, you know, like mm. the first two movies are obviously the best. They're classics. And then Alien uh, and then Batman, um, uh, Batman Forever, I always liked. I thought Val Kilmer was a great Batman. I enjoyed that movie a lot. Um, same thing with Alien 3. Really enjoyed it. But the difference is I don't think Alien Resurrection is like a Batman and Robin but it feels kind of like the Batman and Robin. And that's like right. what I can only think about because they came out later in the nineties or, it, you yeah. know, and they just were like big franchises that kind of got kicked started again after being in dormancy for a while. That's how I always think about them. And I, again, uh, alien resurrection. I loved because it was like underwater aliens. You know, you see so many of them all at once. It it's feels fun. like it's, it, yeah, it's trying to be like, uh, and it's weird. Alien 3 feels like it's a sequel to Alien from 79 and Alien Resurrection yeah. feels of the vein of Aliens. And I've totally. always yeah, and I've always felt that. So, and then Carmelita, you did say something that kind of 
I think would later on become a thing where you were like, oh, I was kind of angsty and like getting into movies, but seeing them by myself because this is eventually a David Fincher film. And I feel like a lot of people at that age were starting to say that about David Fincher films in general, which is kind of like right. a fun joke to to Fight Club, but I've never <laughs> seen it. So I don't know if I am even like eligible to make that joke. Wait, you haven't seen Fight Club? No, I I run a sequel podcast. I don't watch a lot of movies. I just watch. Oh, I'm just kidding. Goodness. But no, I haven't seen it. I I I would be really curious <laughs> when you do get around to it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'll be really curious to hear your thoughts. Hopefully, you'll make a YouTube video about it or you'll post it on Twitter or something. Because I would be really curious what a first time viewer now 2021 thinks about it. Because it's 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 one of those movies that there was all this initial buzz when it came out and people had a lot of thoughts about it then. And then over time, there's been all these cultural shifts and shifts in the way that we talk about certain political and cultural things. A lot has changed. Yeah, and <laughs> being like a young, toxic male right now, I need to be watching this movie. <laughs> And bragging about it, being like the best movie ever made. Right. You're the demographic, <laughs> my friends. There you go. I have a YouTube channel. I shit talk other people on them, <laughs> on my podcasts. I'm like, I'm like literally the target audience. Maybe that's why I like Alien 3 so much too. David Fincher just knew. He's like, these are the kind of guys I want watching my movies. He's speaking directly <laughs> to you, Chris. <laughs> yeah, like four years before I was born, he just knew. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad when, when you wanted to do this episode, at first I thought it was funny to be just a clap back to, to, to Matt and I for talking about alien resurrection, but I do know you genuinely do love this movie. I do. And, um, I really want to get into it, but do you remember the first time you did watch alien three? Like, do you have like a distinct memory or was it one of those, like, I liked it and then I started watching it more and more. I do remember the first time. I don't remember where I was. I don't remember if we were in the theater or if we rented it as a new release. Like the the where of it all is fuzzy. <laughs> but I do remember the experience of seeing this story unfold and how different it was tonally. Mm-hmm from aliens and just all of the really ballsy decisions that get made in this film story-wise. Like I remember being genuinely shocked in the beginning to find out who's, who survived the EEV crash. Like I was, the setting was definitely like more in line with, with alien 79, but but it was kind of, it had its own unique things about it too. So it was like, and then, you know, Ripley and Clemens, like there's just so much about then the cast. Mm -hmm. There was just so much about experiencing this the first time that was like, what, (laughs) what? Yeah. And I, I did. I mean, I, I was all in from the first watch. Yeah. I've always enjoyed this film and it was years later, like when it would come up that I started to find out that unbeknownst to me, a lot of people (laughs) didn't like this film and I was kind of taken aback (laughs) because it had not occurred to me that, that people didn't like it. And so that's always kind of the funny thing about talking movies with people 
<laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of like when you tell people stories about like family customs or traditions, things that you think are normal that everybody does. Oh, and then when yeah. you actually start talking to people, you find out like, oh, wait, not everybody does that. It's yeah. the same with movies sometimes where you're like, I just never questioned that this is a good movie, like a good sequel. Mm -hmm. And then I started talking to people and I, I found out that I was maybe in the minority of that opinion. So it's been a wild ride and I've kind of made it my own personal crusade <laughs> to, to talk to anybody who will listen. I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking on doors. I haven't taken it to that level, but oh, anytime sure. the alien, right? I should consider it. Anytime alien franchise comes up, anytime this movie comes up, like <laughs> I'm not ashamed to proclaim my undying love. For Alien 3 and I I keep hoping against hope that folks who maybe saw it like once or twice like 20 years ago 30 years ago will give it a shot like let's like just just try again you might feel differently about it because there's just so much awesome and especially because of all the issues they had behind the scenes with production and and the writing and cuts and edits and reshoots and it's amazing I was watching it this morning in preparation for our discussion. And it just blows my mind that with all the trouble they had in production, the end result is still so good. Yeah. In a, in a, in a time of like certain cuts, a la Snyder cuts and stuff like that, mm -hmm. which I'm a big fan of. I would, I, where's my David Fincher cut of alien three for crying out loud. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, he. Like I he, mean, I don't think he likes to talk about it. He doesn't. He 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 really <laughs> does not. I think he has a master class on how to not talk about movies you've done, because right. he does not. He avoids this like the plague. And you know what? For people who haven't seen Alien Three and they want some background knowledge, I think Carmelita, you hit a good point. It is a miracle this movie came out the way it did. Um, from I mean, talk. I mean, I feel like a movie like this with a franchise behind it, like it was at the time in like today's settings, no way it, it gets made. Like no way. It's it's the big block budget blockbuster, um, with so many ailing problems behind the scenes that even the public knew, and it comes out to like a failure at the launching pad kind of deal. And then growing in cult status, I feel like you don't see that kind of stuff with movies yeah. like this anymore. And I feel like only the 90s you could like get away <laughs> with. <laughs> it was a hell of a decade. Right. And for people who didn't know, like this was, I, I think Rennie Harlan was the first to do, like was tapped to do this movie, I'm pretty sure. And um, kind of similar to Alien Resurrection in the last episode, there was so many different directors that were being tossed up. You had names like Danny Boyle to do this movie. But for this one, I know I think Rennie Harlan was the one. And this is a movie um, where there was just too many minds trying to figure out what to do with the, with the franchise. I mean, you had like three different producers had to go through two directors to get to this like the final product like what like you think like i mean it's kind of like a modern justice league of sorts where it's like the snyder leaves you have a lot of money for this movie totally and the you know like the guy i mean from what i've read with rennie harlan he wanted to do a different type of movie that sounds really cool and i know that's why his name's been uh, always been kind of synonymous with the alien franchise he had like scripts floating around for you know for what he wanted to do with the franchise and 
Uh, but I'm glad we kind of didn't go with that route of what he wanted. He wanted it to be more like the aliens are super smart and intelligent and mm. not just like these sentient beings. Kind of cool, but I don't see it really happening. I feel like them being kind of predatorial, I guess. Right. Like not, you know, very instinctual. That fits the mold of the alien store, um, universe that works well. Um, and David Fincher, this is his first movie, I'm pretty sure. Like, I yeah. think he was just fresh off the boat. And they threw him in this movie with a lot of money. And, you know, I don't know if you noticed, Carvalho, but when you watch the movie, he's nowhere on, like, the written team or production team and the credits in the opening. He's just slapped his director. And I feel like in any movie, if the director had nothing to do with, like, the writing or the producing, like, that's kind of a weird thing. <laughs> right, yeah. And, you know... <sighs> It, it sounds like the little that you do kind of like read or if it does come up in an interview and he actually says a few words about it, like sounds like it was just so miserable. He was, yeah. <laughs> he was so miserable in this process that, yeah, like he just wanted to wash his hands of it when it was done. And I feel like with that it. 90, yeah, with that first, that 90s theatrical release, I don't blame him. I mean... So if you buy the movie on Blu-ray, which I recommend, <laughs> um, you you get the two cuts at the very beginning. You get the the 92 cut, and then you get the 2003 assembly cut that Carmelita you talked about. And I think you're with me, but that assembly cut is way better than the 92 theatrical cut. It's really good, <laughs> but I am going to say this. Uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and no. this is the point where people just go, what is Whoa. she talking about? <laughs> I, I, I gave my heart to the theatrical cut. Oh my! I I do not I did not know this going in. <laughs> I did. Really? I gave my heart to the. You know, I I feel similar wow. about this as I do Legend from nineteen eighty five. Oh, the other the really Scott Legend. Yes. Oh. So Legend is a movie that's famous for having three different versions. Oh. The U.S. theatrical, the European release, and then the director's cut. And they're all three different. <laughs> there's different endings. There's different soundtracks. <sighs> That's so stressful. <laughs> now, I have not seen the European release, but I have seen the director's cut and the U.S. theatrical. And I, I mean, they're both awesome for different yeah. reasons. But I think because I first fell in love with the U.S. theatrical, like that's just, it's that's got yours. my heart. And so this is similar. Like, I think the assembly cut is awesome. And most people I know who have come around on Alien 3, they came around because of the assembly cut. So for anyone listening who's like, I saw the theatrical cut one time, hated it. Try the assembly cut if you haven't watched it, because most people that I do talk to who have issue with the theatrical tend to feel completely differently about the assembly cut. And it sounds like you're an assembly cut man as well. Yeah, I, I am. But here's the thing. I still also love that 92 like that. I'm I, I, I won't I wear it on my sleeve. It's like a, well, it's not like it's like a, it's like a patch like on my yeah, yeah. jacket of like, you know, like hot takes like Alien 3 is like, yeah, I put it up there. I, I like it a lot. Um, <laughs> It's not as bad as people say because it really isn't as bad as people say. It's not. Um, Thank you. But as someone who like 
it's weird, you know. And I don't want to sound pretentious when I come out saying this, but like, if a movie's no, longer, it. I want to watch a longer cut. You know, like that's that so sense. dumb to say. And I get it. The assembly cut provides so much more depth, and it kind of takes different elements that were cut out from the 92 that I kind of like. So like when we get into it, we'll talk about like the Gallic character. Mm -hmm. I really like those added scenes with him. I think the opening in the assembly cut is better than the theatrical because you kind of get an idea of the setting. It's very Um, cinematic, that opening on the assembly cut for sure. Yeah. But I'm also of the same. Oh, I don't know if I'm in the same boat as other people, but I I also think the assembly cut is 45 minutes longer at a two yeah. hour and 40 minute run <laughs> for an alien movie. Like I love the alien franchise with my dearest of heart, but like, man, that is a long alien movie. It's long. <laughs> 45 minutes cut added like the Snyder cut, like beat it obviously. But I mean, there were some parts in the Sunday cut where we really didn't have to have certain elements to it. But I mean, you get also, I mean, just the idea of what the xenomorph in this movie is, is completely different in the assembly cut compared mm-hmm. to the theatrical. So, but it doesn't fit. I feel as well as like the theatrical, which we'll get and into. There, and there's no, and the dog, and there's no dog death in the assembly. That's cut. true. But the, the dog birth makes more sense than an ox. Then like that makes no sense on why it is the way it is. <laughs> like, the, the, the xenomorph should be chonky if he's coming out of an ox. But right. It's a small little thing that dances around when it, it gets but it, out. But it seems like, see, so here's the thing, right? <laughs> I, I, I had a feeling we were going to have to talk about this. When I was watching them. I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about this. So the xenomorph in the assembly cut coming out of an ox seems small for coming out of an ox. Mm-hmm. But it seems a little big for coming out of a Rottweiler. Yeah, but its movement makes more sense from a dog. I that's was, true. That's what I've always thought. And that's why I like Alien 3's Alien. Right. Um, but here's the thing about Alien. Like, th- I think I love, as a, <laughs> growing up watching Alien 3, it was, a, it was like, it gave me a little bit of both of the Alien and Aliens, and I didn't have to rewatch both of them and get stale right. from it, right? Um, at least in my opinion, most people didn't see it that way. But Alien is my favorite, and Alien 3 feels like of its vein. It's yeah. so... It, it, it's so visually appealing and I mean, it's a Fincher film, so it's going to look good. Right. And it has so many, icon- for a movie that's so hated, it has a lot of decently iconic moments in the franchise and in just like cinema in general. Yeah. Um, and I got to give it credit where it's due. Um, for people who are like, who haven't seen alien three, which I am surprised. I don't blame you. I mean, I feel like alien three and alien resurrection is like mostly skipped by people who love alien and aliens. And like, that's about it for them. But like, I feel like the alien franchise as a whole, which I love why I love it. And the community behind it is like, they are a dedicated bunch, which I am proud to be a part of. I cannot be biased towards any alien movie. If anybody has listened to the previous episodes, like with Prometheus and alien covenant, I can't be biased. Like I love all of those movies. And you know what? I will say this uh, on here um, that I think really Scott borrows a lot from alien three in some thematic in thematic themes. I think he borrows a lot from alien three and I'll get into that in a bit. Yeah. But for, okay. So alien three, like who's in this movie? So obviously Sigourney Weaver comes back, you know, love Sigourney. She, I, this might be one of her strongest performances in her career. She kills it. She kills it in this movie. Yeah, and she was nominated for in Aliens. I don't. She wasn't nominated for this, but I would say this was maybe even a better performance, just as an actress. You get 
Charles Dance, who I only personally know from Last Action Hero. That's the only other movie I knew him in, which was also a 90s movie. Yeah. And uh, so that's where Matt Bledsoe tuned in. He, he knew Charles Dance was in this movie. Um, Charles, Dut- <laughs> Charles Dutton, who plays kind of like the imprisoned um, pre- uh, preach, uh, preacher for the film. I think he, he gives such an un- under- underrated performance in this movie. I think he's so strong, works opposite well with Sigourney. Yes. The Dylan character is one of my favorites from the franchise. And you don't get many characters like him at all in the entire franchise. Yeah. Um, and Lance Henriksen comes back as Bishop and as like the maker, which is interesting. Right. Um, you get Pete Rothsway, which I only know because I did the episode of um, Lost World Jurassic Park 2. Mm-hmm. He was the hunter in that. He's in this movie. Um, and then Brian Glover, who I also remember from uh, American Werewolf in London. He's the one who's yeah. bloody awful, if you ask me. Bloody awful, if you ask me. <laughs> He's this. He feels out a of place. A lot of those inmates, a lot of those inmates are 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 busy working British actors that you've probably seen in a bunch of things. So but <laughs> on this side of the pond, like we forget their names, but you see their face and you're like, that guy, I know yeah. that guy. He's done a bunch of movies. <laughs> Why can't I remember? It's because I'm American and... Okay, yeah. Here's the thing. Why is this movie so oddly British? It's so British. I, I, I think it should be on the BBC network, this movie, like all the time. <laughs> like maybe that's why Idris Elba was in Prometheus because he watched Alien 3 so much. He's like, oi, mate, I'm a British guy too. Well, they did, like, they did some filming in the UK, right? Is Fincher British? Have I just never known that? No, like, not Fincher, but... Man, it is so, and for, like... a, and for a Fox studio movie, I mean, you know Fox. I'm surprised they yeah. have non-Americans in this movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's a little distasteful. But I kept, rem- I never noticed it as a kid. But like, I mean, it makes sense maybe from like the the stereotype of like the coal miners. They feel like, like kind of like blue collar kind of guys. Maybe right, yeah. that plays into it with like the British, like cobble topper type. I don't know. Maybe I'm overlooking that a little too much, but this is an oddly British cast for this movie that takes place. Yeah. Most of the inmates, most of them, which I think is, I mean, you also don't get that kind of premise again, except in this movie. You don't. Um, but okay, so we know who's in the movie. We know that there's two different cuts of this movie. We kind of give in our, our kind of our, our 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 opinions on both ones. Ones ones you should watch. You should watch both. From what it sounds yes. like, because Carmelita, like you said, you before we recorded, you watched both cuts before the recording as well as I did in the last what, 24 hours. Yeah, <laughs> what a queen! <laughs> like that's <laughs> all. Like I didn't do it immediately. Like at. Um, 24 hours, I took a day pause, but like I totally made it a mission to watch both of them because Alien 3, the theatrical, I watched a lot of times, but yeah. the assembly cut always kind of didn't like come about for me. Like I just kind of was like, oh, there is another cut, but I'm just going to stay with a theatrical because I'm going to be that guy. But man, the, um, the assembly cut, I, I don't know why it took me so long to get around to it. Did you find any differences when you watch both of them, especially so close together? Did you do you still like the 92 is like your favorite for sure? And then like the assembly cut, like you appreciate. I'm curious because I didn't think. Yeah, I mean, I I think because of how personal the theatrical cut feels because it's the first one I saw and it's the one that I watched over and over and over again for years. I think that'll always kind of be my my first love in terms of the versions of this film. But the assembly cut's awesome, and like I bought it, so 
I'll definitely rewatch it. I could see sometimes being like, hey, you know, it's Alien 3 rewatch time. This go around. Let's watch the assembly cut. And maybe the next time it'll be like, you know, I'm in the mood for the theatrical. Because, you know, the the major themes, the visual style, the color palette, the score, all of that is the same. Like, Mm-hmm. The blood and guts and bones of the movie is not different. There's just, you know, there's just more. And, yeah. and, you know, little tweaks here and there, and there's just more. But it's not like, like for me, like it, it's almost interchangeable. I can enjoy watching either. Yeah. Now. And I, I think the theatrical probably, like, if you don't want to spend almost, th- you know, more than two and a half hours on a, this alien movie, the theatrical. I think still it suffice. I think yeah. it's still very enjoyable. It does get a lot more of excessive hate than it. Pro- I feel like this movie's done better as years have gone by. Like I think aging did well for this movie. This is what I want to believe. I society believe. was not smart enough to appreciate <laughs> Alien Three. Is same thing like with I think so because like I uh, love the Alien franchise, but man, when Alien Covenant came out, I was so pissed. I left the theater <laughs> sad. It's like. <laughs> It's like if someone ruined the ending to Endgame for me at, oh, on opening no. night. I was like, how can this movie like be this way? Like, how? And um, man, on rewatch, man, that baby is like certified gold in my opinion. <laughs> like, it's one of the best sci-fi movies maybe in the last 20 years in my this opinion. This is the thing about expectations, right? And mm. and it's one of the, the beautiful things about the Inside the Sequel podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> is that... You know, with a franchise, when you have sequels, it's almost impossible for most people to just go in clear of any expectations. We all walk into the theater or, you know, press play on the streaming site with some kind of expectation, especially if you really enjoyed the original the first film in a series and you and you wanted more. So it's, it's, you know, I get it. Like, you know, sometimes we show up and our expectations are way up there or we were expecting it to go in a particular direction, or we had certain hopes for the characters that we love or whatever it is. Like it's, it's tough. It's tough to have a successful sequel because of all the hundreds of thousands of viewers, <laughs> people are going to have different expectations and different things that they wanted and directions they wanted to see it go. And I think sometimes, like for me, sometimes I have to get that initial viewing of disappointment out of the way and can then like revisit something and go, you know, wasn't that bad. <laughs> and then in some cases be like, no, I actually really like this. Like once you get over the shock of this didn't go the way I expected it to. Mm. This is not always the case. I mean, there are, there are some <laughs> other franchises where, you know, I, yeah. I haven't been able to, to, to be the bigger person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. The Alien is a franchise. There are six movies in this franchise with more to come. And I feel like sometimes people only think of Alien, they think of just 79 or they think of just the James Cameron Right. Um, but like, I feel like it's over 
it's long overdue that these sequel movies do get like more appreciation. Like, I mean, I know Joss Whedon, like I said in the Alien Resurrection episode, Joss Whedon is like a hot button issue right now. But like, I thought he mm-hmm. did a very good job with Alien Resurrection, at least for it, what that where that franchise was at the time, which is unfair because that mo- that people are like, oh, like it had to be successful because of how bad Alien Three was. But man, I. S- I really feel like people were overtly hard on Alien 3 because of it had to follow maybe one of the best sequels of all time in Aliens. Right. And it was such a big tonal shift. Yes. I feel like that's a big part of it because Aliens falls more into the horror action side uh-huh. of things. And it is very action oriented. And, and, you know, when you have bill paxton when you have these actors who 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 bring a comedic quality to it and you know it's it's loud and and it's it's kind of colorful it's it's brighter it's also oddly like heroic too yes yes unlike this movie (laughs) yeah there's a there's a huge shift so i i mean i can understand now i am on record as being a person who loves bleak, <laughs> melancholy, yeah. gloomy things. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'll just put that out there. I do have a bias towards the darker <laughs> side of film. So I I just love this. Like those dark, muddy colors. Oh, my those gosh. Yes. Dark corridors and mm-hmm. flickering candles. Like... I mean, that's oddly me is gothic. Like putting on a yes, it's like putting on a like cozy black cardigan sweater and sitting <laughs> in my little my little cave. <laughs> you know, so it's like I, I find that very comforting. And I love existential movies in this movie. Oh my gosh, yes. It's pretty existential. And and yeah, you know, they took the risk of killing off some of the beloved characters from the second sequel kind of putting Ripley into this place where she's on her own again and, and meeting a whole new cast of characters. And there, and there's a lot of really like heavy themes in this movie, Mm -hmm. people accepting their fate, even if their fate means death sacrifice, Mm -hmm. there's sacrifice all over this movie, people making sacrifices, Um, you know, but there's also solidarity. There's also hope in this movie too. If you there look. is, there's a glimmer of it's hope. there. It's there. Yeah. Just so like, like Carmelita was saying, the movie starts off like this movie has the whole, um, uh, what is it called that my friends and I always use? It has the mean opening where it's like yeah. uh, survivors <laughs> of the last movie. I mean, you get it like Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. You get it in a bunch of other sequels as well. The her- heroes or the lovable characters of the fir- of the last movie. They die in the beginning of this movie. Everyone, Lil Newt, Bishop, um, they die. Um, I forget, dead. Corporal. Dead, yeah. dead, dead. Everybody dead. Except Ripley. And the opening shot is her crashing into a prison um, planet from the Wayland yutani Company that's kind of deserted at this point. But it's all inhabited by inmates, basically, who have been abandoned basically have to live the rest of their lives there. And she's the only female and they haven't seen a woman in decades. It sounds like, um, and it's such a mean cold opening. I mean, the planet looks cold when they give you like the landscape shots, it's an oil refinery type of planet. And, um, depending on the version you see, 
Um, she lands in like the ocean area and it's just, it's just, it's just cold opening. And you kind of get this feeling like, wow, it's like, she's kind of isolated here. And, um, that's kind of the whole point of the movie. She's basically surviving on this planet, I believe with all of these prison inmates, but the one part where I get what people are like griping, but I also think it's kind of smart and kind of like, not a middle finger, but more of kind of like, a, you know, I'm going to just re- disregard what, however this happy ending of Aliens was because Aliens ended on a high note of Ripley finally getting to leave and this alien species behind her. But there's somehow a stowaway xenomorph in the in the ship that um, go ahead that goes ahead and um, kind of latches on to uh, one of the inmates um, animals and it starts picking them off one by one. Um, how did that happen at the end of Aliens and in, in Alien Three? It shows up. It doesn't explain. But you know what? I, I would still buy it. You know? Yeah. I I mean, that's the premise we're starting from. As far as I'm concerned, like, okay, sure, let's go. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you just put it out there, like, okay, we, you know, in order to continue with this story, you got to know that somehow Facehugger got in there, and it's been in there with them while they're in cryo sleep. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like homage to the first movie. I mean, when mm-hmm. Ripley is trying to leave, the xenomorph is also in that escape pod. Um, and in this movie, she meets uh, the the medical doctor named um, Clemens, and mm-hmm. they kind of have some chemistry, but it's not like a romanticized chemistry at all. It's a very bleak relationship. Okay, no, we need to talk about this. <laughs> we need to talk about uh-uh. this, my friend, because this is why I'm excited. I- I ship Ripley and Clemens so hard. That makes sense. He's a really charming guy. I always did. And I get that people, you know, the sparks that fly between (laughs) Ripley and Hicks in the previous film. Like, I get it. And and Hicks is that, like, heroic character, Marine figure. You know, Clemens is, you know, this very stoic, very calm, kind of aloof doctor character. And a former prisoner, mm-hmm. a convicted criminal. But this is this is the thing that I love about the Ripley Clemens dynamic. These are two grown ass people. They are mature adults. They've got plenty of baggage that they're carrying, plenty of history in their lives. They're not looking for a fairy tale romance. Mm-mm. You're past that, man. You're grown. The world is harsh. You got a job to do. You're trying to survive. You're in this really not romantic setting. True. Um, But these are two adults who are mutually attracted to each other. They don't have time for games because everyone's (laughs) trying to stay alive, but they, but they want to connect and they, they have a mutual respect for each other. They're slowly trying to build trust which is hard Mm. coming from their backgrounds and given what's going on but like i love it i love how direct ripley is in initiating a physical um you know (laughs) in consummating (laughs) their friends with benefits whatever i don't mean they never put a name on it it's clear that they're attracted to each other they both want to get laid so they do and they just mm-hmm. say that very clearly, like adults do in the real world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're they're like getting to know each other. And, you know, they're being hunted by aliens. So, no, they're not going to hold hands and 
cuddle. Like, who's got time yeah. for that? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I, you know, as a kid watching Alien 3, I was just like, oh, man, they're in bed together. Gross. But as, like, an adult, um, I was always like, you know, like... They don't owe anything to each other. They just do have that chemistry, like you said. And you like I, you don't get this is why I like Alien Three a lot. You don't get characters again like Clemens or like Dylan in this mm-hmm. movie. Dylan, this um, this strong spoken man who who's also not a good person, um, who's trying to make the best of a situation. But then you get like Clemens, who is quiet and in a franchise that's all about the female lead and how strong she is. She is kind of like the initiator, like you said, which is oh, yeah. very, very opposite to most movies where the, the male lead is like the action hero who will initiate, but you get the female doing that. And, um, I, I, I think that got, got better with age. Like I said, I think it shows Ripley has matured so much because how I see these alien movies, at least the, I, I'll, I'm going to omit four because oh, four feels like it's just trying to recover from what happened with three. But the first three alien movies, I see alien one kind of being like, and again, I think this is the part where I think Ridley Scott really stole from Fincher a little bit. So with alien and 79, it feels like exploration. It feels like something different. It feels like naivety of the unknown, right? Which is that alien species with humans. So that feels like earth. Aliens feels like the plight for salvation. You get help along the way, what Ripley does with the Marines. She finds happiness. She finds a surrogate daughter, possibly a, a partner. She finds a good friend in Bishop. A happy ending. Maybe going up like in the metaphorical heaven of sorts. This right. movie, Fincher, straight drags her to hell. And it really yeah. it really looks like then the opening of the movie. The, the ship falls, crash lands, and a scorching fire. You get a lot of lateral... Um, um, visuals throughout this movie of the top to down, the up to down, yeah. kind of like the descent to hell or looking up to going back to salvation, which Ripley's trying so hard to do. Um, and this that's why this movie's so dark. It's so like gritty and dirty looking. And of course, religion is going to be there with the character of Dylan um, trying to find that that sort of like hopefulness, that faith. Redemption, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And and I feel like Ripley in this movie, she's kind of realized I am here in hell. So like to damn with what I was trying to do before, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. She takes the initiative throughout the whole movie. And I love that. No, and absolutely. He, and I think that's where Ridley Scott, like I said earlier, stole from Fincher. Fincher pushes this whole thing of like descent to hell. Paradise is lost. He tries to do that with Prometheus. And he tries to do that with Alien Covenant. Almost, almost, almost like so like overtly obvious it's like really ridley but it's still really well done but fincher was so subtle with it with the character of ripley she's a different character in this movie than any of the other two movies in my opinion and with her relationship with clemens i never thought i never thought ripley is sexual but i've always thought of the alien franchise as sexual and this movie is maybe okay. kind yeah. of like that in a way i get what you're saying and you know i think that's I think that's one of the things I I love about about that aspect of this film is like it's like you know Ripley is a well-rounded character. Mm-hmm. And just because she's a strong female character doesn't mean she doesn't want to have sex. Like it doesn't right. mean she doesn't want companionship. Well-rounded people, fully faceted personalities want all of those things. 
You know, mm-hmm. she doesn't just have to be a, a fighting machine. No, she I'm can, so glad she's not. <laughs> you know, and I think in this movie we get, you know, she's trying so hard to hold it together. And she is a badass. I mean, she's dropped on this planet with 25 people that society is scared to death of and sent to the far-flung reaches of the, <laughs> you know, to get rid of these convicts. And she refuses to be intimidated because she's seen worse. Mm-hmm. She's faced down the xenomorphs. So, you know, so she is a badass and she will fight and she will stand up for herself. And she'll also be attracted to somebody mm-hmm. and, you know, and initiate a romantic or sexual relationship with them and do it in this no bullshit kind of way. And I think it's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I do think it, the relationship there is greatly appreciated. And like this movie and this franchise there, you don't get too much of like love, you know, you don't get like sort of some sort of ships, you know, <laughs> of sorts. Um, but again, I think this movie, it's so dark because like you said, she's in this new area and, and she's so bold and brave. She confronts Dylan who Dylan very almost proudly says like, I've murdered and raped women. I and love I'm that here. scene. And she just goes like, oh, wow. Well, I must really make you nervous then. While she's previously just shaved her head as well. And, you know, she's just sitting there. And then there, she sits down. Yeah, like no big deal. And she like, I feel like the guys, the strong-willed guys, she kind of gets the approval of, like Dylan, Clement. Mm-hmm. Um, but like some of the people there who are weak-minded and who truly are the monsters um, they, they are, they're more fearful of her and they, they only have their mind on certain things. And I think the movie does a really good job of like addressing that throughout the movie. And it's like, we haven't talked that much about the Xenomorph because I feel like this movie is even more about the character of Ripley than even just the alien itself. No, totally. Yeah. And that's, I think that's something that it, it does have in, it does kind of share with alien. Mm hmm. Um, in that, you know, you don't, you don't see that much of the xenomorph. You see more of it in this movie than you do in the first, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you do really get this more of a focus on the people who are in this isolated setting and who are, who are trying to figure out how they're going to survive this thing and of Ripley and, and how she's coping and how she's being a leader in her own way. Right. I mean, she almost dies. And the first thing that comes to her mind is I got to make sure that the no alien came on board of this thing. Like you just crash landed and you want to just, you know, get an autopsy of someone you cared about just to make sure there's no alien there and just being on like straight up paranoia about this thing, like this PTSD, which is totally justified. And I love that about this movie. Like at the edge of the sheet, you're not, you're not knowing whether there's actually an alien or not until you get that really good, um, cremation, um, scene where she sees her friends get thrown in the pit of fire while also the birth of the new alien on the planet being shown from being inside an ox or a dog, whichever version you watch. Either way, really good introduction to how the alien is going to look in this movie. Mm-hmm. And people are going to gripe and they're like, oh, the CGI is terrible. But for its time, it was pretty damn good. And at some scenes, I think it works to its favor. Because you get a lot of like POV shots with this alien throughout the movie. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Yeah, you don't get that POV very often. stuff is cool. Yeah. And it moves so fast. 
So like in the tr- like the 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 chase scenes with the alien, it's so good, and its first death is also so sweet <laughs> in the turbine. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. There's some great there's some great on screen deaths in this movie. People complain about the. I think I feel like a lot of the complaints were about the technology of its time. Um, but like I said in like that '98 Godzilla episode, the technology was there. Like that's all it was there for. You know, it wasn't going to be like how it is today. But the money and the efforts and like I, I think it also sh- this movie really shows the importance of lighting and like mm-hmm. camera angles because yes. the CGI graphics, you could get something pretty sus looking and not you know something very unappealing. But if you have a good director who knows how to handle a camera and you have some good DOPs and, you know, some good people who know how to handle lighting properly, you get something pretty scary like an Alien 3 um, where the CGI almost looks like it's uh the prosthetic is there like the puppet right right well and two you know i think this uh this movie is has a good mix of of the two mm-hmm. you know so you, you'll have you'll have some scenes where the kill is like a very quick strike and you know you see a blood splatter and you don't see the whole xenomorph full on Mm-mm. you have other scenes like shortly after Clemens is murdered. <laughs> Again, if it's the theme of such a mean movie. <laughs> Again. Uh, and, oh, I love him. You know, and, and so the famous, the famous shot that is now a gif, like used all over the place of Ripley with her cheek against the tile wall and the xenomorph right in her face and drooling. And it's like, you know, that looks such awesome. A, such a and then scene. later on, you do get some of these action shots with where it's clearly CGI. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, it's not the best CGI in the world. But I think because we get a mix of different ways they approach the visuals and how much we see of the xenomorph at different in different scenes, like I think it works. Yeah, I think it does. And I think that this movie so much more to the mythology of the alien creature. Like it creates its own mythology more or less than what the previous movie did. Aliens feels like these are these are intelligent species, but they're still very animalistic, right? They breed, they hunt, yada, yada, they pack. Um, and then the first one is just like the anomaly. Like it's an alien. It's a genuine alien species. And this movie, it creates some sort of like mythology of sorts all in one movie, which is so fascinating to me. Like it's directly tied to Ripley. It it, it, it kind of like taunts Ripley. Um, it it almost like has a possession, like, a, like almost like a false idol type of um, – attachment to the character of Gaul, like which we talked about earlier in this episode where his a lot of his introductions in this movie are absent in the assembly cut he has so much more scenes of this movie is kind of like this he's not dumb or anything he's just you know he's just um he's more naive than most of the other um uh, inmates where he almost like he sees his two friends die when they're in the in the tunnels and like he is fascinated by this thing like the blood splatters on him and he's looking up to it like it's an idol. You know, yeah. his eyes are yeah. flashing and he like lets it out when they capture it because he just needs to see it again. And it eventually just kills it because of its attachment to Gallic's character. You don't see that, I don't feel like, ever again in the Alien franchise, except with David in the Prometheus movies. You're, which is you're right. That's true. 
like this like I, then that's why i think alien 3 does not get enough credit it has so many things like it's balancing this whole like life and death situation this nihilistic versus happiness kind of identity and it's also a deeply religious movie as well yeah it is and that that part of it is probably probably turns some people off mm -hmm. but i i think you know if you have you put aside like the specifics of of what their belief system is it's more about the fact that you have these inmates people who society had decided were beyond redemption and sent them to this far off work jail mm -hmm. and they have had to decide for themselves they want to get through doing time by creating a culture and having this spiritual unity they talk about yeah. and that's what gets them through living in this cold dirty awful place they need something to keep them together like as individuals like holding it together yourself and then as a group something that unites them and gives them a common purpose yeah you know and i mean that's it's something that i think is is part of the human condition we look for ways we look for ways to unify we look mm -hmm. for ways to form community and in fury 161 <laughs> You know, these inmates have have adopted a religion that they hold to and they hold each other accountable. And and that's it's something that they've done on their own. It wasn't imposed on them by the corporation, by the warden. Mm -hmm. It's something they did for themselves so that they can get through. Yeah, what they have to get through. And I like how it's it's like I, I said, it's religious. I think it's like it's it's kind of making reference to religion, but I think it also kind of scrutinizes religion heavily in this movie mm, mm -hmm. because they're all complaining and it's a difference of the scene. Cause in the beginning of in the theat theatrical cut, Dylan isn't talking to all of them when Ripley shows up, but in the assembly cut, Dylan is praying with them and arguing why Ripley being there is bad because he is kind of like the religious leader of sorts. They're talking about this celibacy, this oath they took. They haven't seen a woman in forever because they're murdering rapists. So having a woman near him is not a good idea at all. Um, but their self-control is solely based on avoiding women, the people they victimized, which right. You know, you could apply to like the whole concept of, I mean, you're living in Southern Missouri, you hear the whole, oh, you shouldn't wear that because you're going to tempt the boys, your, your temptation to the, right, the people right, who right, can't right. Uh, hold themselves accountable. And uh, that's kind of the same thing that's being said in this movie too, which I love how Ripley is like, yeah, you know what? You're an adult. You, you're like Clemens has shown restraint. Why can't everyone else? And Dylan shows restraint, but not everyone else does. And I think it kind of plays into the lore of like what the whole alien franchise started off as and kind of embodies a different sort of monster. And I hate to talk about it, but it, I, I don't know. It, it's weird. Do it. like they, okay. I'm going to get very real for a second, but no, Dan, oh, but Dan O'Bannon, the writer for alien, he said when he created the, he was the writer for alien. He, he came up with this concept in the late seventies, um, the scary thing, obviously, even to this day, was rape, the rape towards women that men were doing. And he thought the scariest way to, 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 to do it to a male audience was having that simulated 
action towards men. You see Cain yes. being the first to be victimized. The alien's whole basis of the species is to, you know, involuntarily impregnate another species to give birth yeah, to its, its species. It's, I mean, it's a it's a an invasive violation of your body. It's so scary. Yeah. And this movie embodies that without the alien doing that, but also the humans being insinuated that they do it as well, which makes it all the more scary for Ripley. So not only does she battle the demons of this alien species that does this to women and men alike, but now she deals with her own race who would also, in this scene, in the movie, they show what could have happened to her if Dylan didn't come to her rescue, um, is that they did try to take advantage of her. And it is such a terrifying scene. Any sort of conversation of that is terrifying. I mean, it, it, but it is a, such a part of like these alien movies, at least these first four. I feel like the last Prometheus and Alien Covenant don't talk about it as much, but in like at least up to this point in the Alien franchise, any, I feel like as a huge fan of the franchise, people would know that, you know, this was this, the alien is scary not only because of the alien, but it's scary for what it's kind of symbolizing in a way. Right. Right. It taps into this very real world mm -hmm. horror. Right. And the fact that the female, the, the, the lead is a female woman who stands up to this monstrosity, it, it makes it all the more empowering. But also for storytelling purposes, it absolutely crushes it. Especially in this movie where, where Ripley is the unconventional, unconventional beauty of sorts. She's cut all her hair off. Um, but back then, I'm sure it was like, why would someone do that? Oh, it was shocking. Right? It was, I mean, because you, you hadn't seen it much up to that point. I mean, clearly, like, in subcultures. Mm -hmm. In subcultures, of course, women have been buzzing their heads, shaving part of their heads or their whole head, I mean, since, like, the 70s. So, so it was out there kind of on the fringes and in subcultures. But to have, like, a mainstream, big screen depiction of a woman who has shaved off all her hair. I mean, the only other thing that comes to mind is GI Jane <laughs> in the <laughs> 80s. Like, and it was shocking at the time for people like, oh my God, she cut off all her hair. Um, you know, but I, and I, I love that it's, you know, it, clearly like there's a, a utilitarian function like yeah man there's lice on this planet you don't want right. to have long hair you got to well, shave it off and she's she's here to survive mm -hmm. she's not here for a fashion show she's here to survive right. <laughs> so you shave your head no it just so happens that sigourney weaver looks incredible yes uh biggest crush as a kid even <laughs> you know paul w sanderson said um I read, I watched it in an alien, uh, in a resident Evil, the original resident evil movie mm. in the bonus features, which that DVD really, really exposed me to what, like how film and different movies connect to each other with directors and works. But he credited for making resident evil and just loving movies was like, he was snuck in to watch alien 79 and he saw Sigourney Weaver and he said, I thought she was the hottest girl in the world. And I was like, Oh good. I wasn't the only one that thought that didn't too. Cause, uh, and, and no matter how she looks, she's always been attractive to me. And even with the buzz cut, we talk about the how Alien 3 is low-key iconic. I feel like that is part of the, like, not only just certain scenes in the movie, but, like, because her character shaves her head, you know? And she's a badass for it. Um, 
And I think this movie also feels the most like perilous because like in the contrast aliens, you get so many weapons and so many aliens in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's no weapons and they emphasize this often. They're defenseless and there's only one alien. Yeah, no, totally. Well, and you think too, like when you think about the two previous films and, and you kind of alluded to this earlier talking about the assault aspects, like, you know, in the earlier films, it's like, she's, you know, in the first one, she's part of this small crew. Mm-hmm. And they're supposed to look out for each other. They have some infighting, but they are at the end of the day supposed to look out for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, in the second one, you have the Marines who are there to be protectors and are supposed to do the fighting. In this film, those prisoners, the inmates, they have absolutely no responsibility to take care of her, to protect her, to watch out for her. Now, over the course of the film, she's able to work with them, even after the attempted assault, when the shit really hit the fan Mm -hmm. and everyone realized, like, no, this thing is going to kill everybody here. Mm -hmm. They're all able to work together and she's able to work with them, even though, you know, they, they had some really scary interactions earlier um, you know, but they could at any moment turn on her. They don't have to protect her. Mm-hmm. And she also has to face down the xenomorph. So it's like, she really is all alone and she's able to forge some relationships here and get some respect and get some backup, but there's no one's there to protect her. Mm-mm. And I think that's what adds to like the isolation scariness of this movie. Totally. Again, a movie where like the alien isn't very much a present. <clears throat> okay, so like to the right before Clemens' death, the movie was feeling like a personal journey for Ripley, which it totally mm-hmm. is. But once Clemens dies, it feels like to me that Fincher is saying, or maybe he didn't mean to say, but at least it tells me, um, is that okay. There is no happiness for Ripley left. Like this was her last chance at ha- like being happy. And cause she changes. She's all about like, this thing is here. It, it, it's stalking me. It's getting so close to me, but not killing me. It's gotten personal now. Um, and that's when the movie really ramps up into being kind of like the, I don't give a crap anymore about like my life. Like she tells Dylan to keep ki- trying to kill her. And he's like, no, I'm not going to let you die before any of us do, you know? And it becomes a different type of movie, but it still feels the natural progression of that, which Absolutely. you could say the assembly cut to some extent makes it feel better. But when watching the theatrical cut, they still hit that. They still hit that on mm-hmm. e- both strides. So regardless, you're not missing on any of those. Um, and Ripley feels like a different character all of a sudden. She's like over her grievances now. She's kind of like given up. That's why I feel, I feel like this movie feels like a hell of sorts because right. she's just like abandoned. Like, like what does it say? Abandoned ye all who enter in here when right. in like Greek mythology, <laughs> right? In this movie, it just feels like once Clemens dies, she's just kind of like, you know what? Whatever at this point. Well, you like, know what? I think it's, 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 she's, she's preparing for this sacrifice. Like in the previous films, <laughs> And at the beginning of this film, you know, Ripley has always been about survival. Mm-hmm. She's going to survive and she's going to do whatever she can do to help those around her to survive. So always been about survival. And I think in this film, like as the course of events 
culminating with the death of Clemens and the xenomorph very pointedly not attacking her. Mm -hmm. Which we got to talk about. (laughs) To leave her. I think it's at that point that she realizes like, you know, she starts to realize like survival survival is going to have to take a backseat to the, the larger issue of this thing has to die. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to survive this, <laughs> but the xenomorph, it has to end here. And then of course, once she finds out that she is a carrier, then she's really like, like, no, like this is what has to happen. I'm not, I'm not coming out of this one alive. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think she's, it's not so much giving up as she's just like, she's accepted her fate. Yeah. Like she's accepted that this is what, this is what needs to happen for the best outcome for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, this is why I'm happy I'm doing this episode with you. Cause you can support <laughs> me in all my, maybe looking too far into the movie. No, I what I like about, (laughs) but I what I like because she so she's a carrier for the it specifies the queen alien, which if you watch Aliens and then Alien Three, you're like, but how? But who cares? Um, she's a carrier and she knows that. And the I love how the alien just stalks her and she can be almost invincible towards it. Um, and then you get Lance Henriksen's character as Bishop shown again, and he kind of explains to her what happened in the ship, and then the real Lance Henriksen of Bishop's character shows up and the, you, uh, the Whalen Utani company starts dabbling its hands and like trying to manipulate what happens. It feels, um, and so you could say technically that Ripley is pregnant with an unwanted baby and the corporate overlord, the male, since Lance Henriksen's Bishop is there, wants her to keep it so they can experiment. They're like, we can extract it. We can, we can read from it, you know, and stuff like that. And she's kind of just making her own choices here. And it's really empowering in a movie in the nine, early 90s like this to have that kind of like that message being spoken. Like I said, a movie like Alien 3, I can't see being made in like 2021, right. you know? I can't. And that's why I love it. It gets away with so many things that are really important to say. And for a franchise, like a big – like Alien is a big franchise, and it has messages and themes like this in a sequel movie makes it pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. No, totally. And that's, you know, I can, I can understand for some viewers, it's probably like a big bummer, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that, that, that Ripley basically martyrs herself for the cause of, of destroying the aliens and not letting the corporation take possession of this creature that they think they'll be able to weaponize, but will more likely just wipe out humanity. Um, you know, she, she martyrs herself. She makes this ultimate sacrifice. She, um, she's going to do this on her own terms. She's going to make a decision about what happens to her body. And she's going to make a decision based on 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 the good of humanity like are you kidding me what i get that it's a bummer and at the same time it's there's something so it just stirs so untraditional it's just stirs these feelings of like fuck yes i love ripley (laughs) i loved her when she was doing whatever it took to survive 
And I love her when she's willing to make the hard choice mm-hmm. for it's... the good of, of, of the people around her and, and humanity. Like, are you kidding me? I love it. Yeah. It doesn't play it safe. You know, no. I, it, it's it, David Fincher in this movie just says, you know what? We're going to give this the most realistic take of the alien movie. We can, this is what's going to happen. No happy beginnings, no happy endings, you know, and I really have to applaud that because in a, and I, maybe that's why Alien 3 didn't do well is because it, that opening was so cold and it, people weren't ready for a cold opening and especially with the cold ending, um, which it feels like a send off like Terminator 2 <laughs> where they didn't think there would be yeah. sequels after yeah. it. It almost feels kind of disrespectful. Um, well, I love Alien Resurrection, so I'm not going to call it disrespectful. And I also love Terminator 3 as well. So I won't call that disrespectful, but it kind of, (laughs) if you knowingly know that there's going to be sequels with these characters in the next movies, it kind of makes it lesser of a special send off. But I will say watching Terminator 2 and Alien 3, you get a little teary eyed. Oh, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think the way that resurrection is handled, how ripley is a presence but it's not Mm -hmm. ripley like the way that they handled it i think it works and for me doesn't take away from the sacrifice she makes at the end of alien 3 absolutely not no it doesn't and i will say though where do you stand um at the ending of alien 3 with the theatrical cut and the assembly cut because they're a little different they're not that much different but there's a few bigger differences though like where she falls off and like the alien the chest burster yeah i i call me crazy <laughs> i i i kind of like that we get i kind of like we get the chest burster in the theatrical i kind of like it yes is it a little dramatic <laughs> it's a blockbuster sure i i would argue it's kind of operatic yeah, I think it visually looks better than the assembly cut mm-hmm. ending of it because you just see her falling and the green screen doesn't translate well to the screen at that moment. Um, and you're going to get like this big thematic ending to her. But I do kind of like when she's ho- holding it, like she's clutching yes. it because yes. she knows her whole life has been based around this species. And she says that in the movie too, right? My, She's like, everywhere I go, you're there or something like that, right? Yeah, she says, um, oh, you, something to the effect of like, you've been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else. Like, Yeah. You've been in my life so long, I can't remember anything else. Which is sad. You know, it is, it is. Between... Between the time fighting and the time in cryosleep, like, <laughs> I mean, she's she's been dealing with this alien menace for so mm-hmm. long, and it's become the the singular focus of her life. Like mm-hmm. this has become what her life is: either running from them or taking the fight to them. Like it's she just can't get away from it, and I I think. One of the things, too, that I always really liked about the theatrical cut, having that chest burster come out as she's going into the furnace is that it also tells us, like, how close uh, yeah. they cut it 
in terms of her being able to keep the alien away from the corporation mm-hmm. this close if she had hesitated any longer if the, if they had if they had rushed her and tackled her <laughs> like <laughs> within seconds the corporation could have got a hold of her body and got a hold of the alien and then it's a whole other you know so yeah. I, I like that. I like that it shows us she she makes this impossible choice in terms of just how difficult it is, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and she cut it this close. They cut it this close, mm-hmm. but she is successful in that moment. Yeah, it, it's a great trilogy, you know, like uh, the first three aliens, and then you get Alien Resurrection, mm-hmm. which just feels like extra fun for the the fans, you know. Yes. Um, but man, Alien Three, like. Like I said, this was my probably one of my most watched because it was always on TV, and like right. I always remembered the 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 orange, dark palette of the mm-hmm. tunnels, um, the sweaty dirtiness of like the inmates, and obviously shaved head Ripley. Um, but I don't think I think as a kid I thought, and as an early teenager I thought it was so cool that like this movie's gothic. If it, it it's it feels like an old castle in a way, like everything nothing works there. It's yeah. haunted by one being, one monster, and the people can't escape out of it. So Daniel's probably thinking, "Oh man, like this sounds cool." Hopefully, um, <laughs> but uh, and. and it just also like the the deaths are so visceral, like they're quick. They're so like the blood is so like it looks like it's corn syrup. Like it's <laughs> it's like carry. Yeah, it's 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 dripping everywhere. Yes, there's blood splattering, pooling, dripping. It's mm-hmm. it's not CGI splatter. Yeah, so like it's visually appealing, but man, the themes underneath the surface some things that were there but i didn't notice i don't i don't think i didn't i wasn't going to be able to see until i finally rewatched this as an adult and it really sticks out so much Uh, that's why i love it (laughs) absolutely no i'm right there with you my friend i think it's yeah there's just there's so there's so many layers to this Mm -hmm. movie yeah (laughs) and and there's there's just i don't know there's it's like a mood (laughs) and then (laughs) it's like this it's just so moody it's so moody and it's it's visually beautiful but it is but it's brutal at the same time Mm -hmm. like visually and there's just there's just so much to explore in this film. Yeah, it's it's so like I like I mean the first movie is just a straight up horror movie. The second one's such an action movie. Um, like it, I don't think it reaches the highs of like the franchise could be, but I think it contributes a lot to what yeah the franchise could be like in terms of like great great storytelling Ridley Scott has kind of embraced the whole symbolism of this universe now like I don't think we get the character of David at all without Alien 3 like I really don't think that no I think you're onto something um yeah so I guess um Neil Blomback couldn't get his alien movie so if they need a writer I'll definitely hop in um (laughs) and put my resume there for it but (laughs) whatever that freaking movie ever comes out Uh, (laughs) but 
I think Alien kind of Alien Three kind of fills the whole like. How do I say this? It it's such a juxtaposition between the mass. Like it's such a, it could it has such a following that could be considered such a hit, but initially it looks like a flop. It feels like a Last Jedi type of thing, where mm. it's like it's split. I don't mm-hmm. think it's as good of like a movie like The Last Jedi, despite what people thought with the Oscars episode. Like I love <laughs> The Last Jedi so much, but it feels of that vein. It feels like it belongs like the odd child that got unruly criticized. But man, like once you get past all that in, in the internet world now too, I feel like it's only gotten better with age. And I think, I think people so need too, to it. And it it can kind of serve as a bridge between you know the first two films which i i mean i think most people would argue are are the two best of the franchise and and people go back and forth about which one is their favorite of those two (laughs) and that's fine whatever i think alien 3 gets to be this bridge between that that earlier period and then the later because it kind of straddles the approaches <laughs> and that's one of the cool things about this franchise, right? Like yeah. each of them each of the films is so distinct. Yeah. Even though some of them have kind of some tonal similarities. But they're each distinct. And so guaranteed, regardless of of what your personal preferences are, <laughs> there is an alien franchise movie for you. Yes. Because they're all, they're, they're all each a little unique in their own way. Even yeah. though they're part of this larger franchise, each of them has kind of their own personality. And so there's something for everybody here. And I mean, I'm definitely a person who <laughs> who loves Alien 3. Yeah, Matt really Bledsoe's do. having a hernia right now. He's like, <laughs> all this positive talk of Alien 3. And he, he, I love the you know. I love him so much. No, I love Matt too. And he's not the only one. Like, like I said, over the years, I've definitely spoken with more people who were vocal about not liking this movie. Um, Or maybe if they don't outright dislike it, they think it's the weakest. Mm -hmm. You know, so alien movie. I love them all. (laughs) Like, you know, and that's the question, right? It's all subjective. Yes. I'm so bad about it with this franchise. <laughs> I'm so I mean, bad. I really enjoy it. Like definitely there's some that I there's some of installments that I enjoy more than others. Okay. But but again, like I think because each film is so unique, like there isn't ever a point in the Alien franchise where I'm like I'll never watch another Alien movie again. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. there's there's no way it can get ruined for me because they're each a little different. They each kind of have a slightly different approach, mm-hmm. slightly different tone. And okay. So I might watch one more than I watch the others. Sure. But like, I'm not at any point going like hard stop. This franchise sucks now. I'm never going to watch it again. Mm, yeah. Like, like that just doesn't happen for me. <laughs> I enjoy them. I enjoy them. So but what's the internet going to say when I say, finally watched Fight Club, Alien 3 over Fight Club? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's going to happen? 
Is Lindsay gonna is Lindsay gonna like be like, oh, there he is again? And then Daniel's gonna personally message me and be like, dude, seriously, come on. Like, let's talk about this. And then Matt Bledsoe is just gonna be like grinning the whole time. I just I just know everything like that. You know, different strokes for different folks. That's what it boils down to. Yes, but okay, Carmelie, do you have any last things you want to say about Alien 3? Um, you know, I would just say like this film accomplishes some pretty incredible things. Given I... you know, given what it took for them to get this thing made and released, the performances that this cast is able to give to have such a large ensemble cast, like all of those inmates and for them each kind of to have their own personalities and for us to actually like for you to actually care about what happens to these people mm -hmm. to have introduced that many new characters and for us to actually care and actually hope some of them make it out alive, mm -hmm. even if only one of them does. Uh <laughs> yeah. The one you don't even think is going to make it too. right. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible what this movie accomplishes and yeah, I just love it. I thoroughly enjoy it. And maybe I'm a morose person <laughs> and that's why. I don't know, but I think it's a good time. It's definitely one of my favorites to dissect for sure now. Yes. So and I'm so glad I had someone who's equally passionate about this movie. Hooray! Even more so. More more so passionate than me. Like <laughs> I was like, I don't think Carmelita is gonna be able to handle how I like this movie. <laughs> And then here you come and go, I'm like, oh, I, I really like this movie a lot, but never mind. Like, this one is yours. I will buy you an Alien 3, like, no, birthday cake. No, we can share it, my friend. It, it, it's shared property. Right. And hopefully when people listen to this, they they go back and watch this movie um, with a so. different lens. I really, I really do. do. Um, and I'm not going to be the one to say watch the assembly car, watch the theatrical. I, If you can watch both, I honestly don't mind watching both. They, they're, they're similar movies, but I feel like they... Like we said earlier, they fulfill different needs that you want with this movie. And both are, I feel like, you can't go wrong with. So definitely Agreed. check them out. Mm -hmm. And it, buy the Blu-ray. I, I, I didn't say this earlier, but buy the freaking Blu-ray for these Alien movies because they are impeccably packed um, with like really cool um like uh interfaces like the menu titles are awesome and it's cool and you get interactive with this uh things with it like really really solid blu-rays that feel fun um so you can get that on blu-ray it's dirt cheap we can get like that quadrilogy pack you can mm -hmm. probably just, i think you can stream it right now on hbo max i believe but you should totally buy it <laughs> and watch you know it. you're gonna rewatch it it's mm -hmm. a small investment so like, yeah, like I'll, I'll give you a digital code. I feel like I have one somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to watch it again. <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you, Carmelita so much for being, well, one for coming back on the podcast. That's usually a tall task um, for a lot of people uh, when they come back on here. Like I usually Never. have to. We had so much fun last time. <laughs> I was, anytime you want to talk movies, I'm down. Right. Like, uh, yeah, you're one of the first guests I didn't have to pay to be on here or supply <laughs> some sort of entertainment for. So thank you for that one. Uh, but thank you again, Carmelia. We're in it for people who missed out on our Desperado El Mariachi episode, one of my favorites to record thus far. Definitely check it out. Carmelita, again, where can people find you? I know you're on Twitter posting awesome things. I am on Twitter, also letterboxed, mm -hmm. same handle at Carmelita says. 
<laughs> so definitely check that out. There'll be a link of that down below in the description. Um, I want to thank you all for listening in on this. And if you checked out what our monthly episodes are going to look like, if you missed last episode, um, I definitely recommend you check it out. And don't forget to check out next week's episode with the guest. Um, that one will be exciting. It's going to be with Mitch Oliver talking about Anaconda 2. So it's one you don't awesome. want to miss. Uh, but if you love this podcast, uh, definitely check out our website, InsideTheSequel.com, as well as follow us on Twitter at SequelPod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Hurtastic underscore Chris. You can check us out our YouTube channel at Hurtastic Reviews as well. Um, but thank you all for tuning in. And remember, if you aren't giving Alien 3 another chance, do you really care about cinema? Anyway, we'll see you next time. <laughs>